All right, Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6. Isaiah chapter 9 and verse 6, we're going through that. And uh, we're in a season at Foothill Church of fruitfulness, and I mean that in all kinds of ways. I mean, I, you know, the Lord has blessed us, and we've had many, many baptisms over the last 10 years. We've, uh, in the last year even, we've had uh, many people respond to the gospel. There's people that are growing in growth groups and, and discipleship groups and things like that. And this is a wonderful season. But I mean, when I say fruitful now, I mean like, like literal fruitfulness in the sense that there's a lot of babies popping out all over, right? There's a lot of pregnant women uh, in this audience right now. It seems like every week we're dedicating a new child to the Lord and uh, just got news. It's not just naturally born children. It's even adoptions that are taking place. The Voorhees family is going to finalize their adoption of their foster children tomorrow. I mean, it's just this great, wonderful uh, day. Yeah, it's worth celebrating. And, and so there's all of this, you know, great uh, fruitfulness uh, in the church. But one of the things that you do as a parent, and, and your parents did for you if you're not a parent, is you've got a name, right? Everybody has a name. My parents gave me a name. And, and names are interesting. Parents go through, you know, they're either really, really concerned or this kind of, I'll, I'll be honest with you. The way I named my children, um, we got Gabby, Tucker, Berkeley, and Gracie. I just like the sound of those names. Some of you want me, because I'm a pastor, to have been really spiritual and thoughtful. I'm just going to be forthright with you. It wasn't that at all. It was like, I think Gabby sounds cool. I think Tucker, that's a great name, right? That was the kind of thing that we did, right? And, and, and some of them mean something. The book ended, Ber Gabby and Gracie, they actually have these great meanings. Berkeley and Tucker, we used to tell them they have a lot of great meaning. They mean nothing. And <laughs> Uh, they're just great names. So, uh, but some of you were like, really like, man, I, you know, this, this naming thing, and this is good. I, I, I applaud you for this. You, you really thought like, I, I want there to be a, a really good biblical rich name that I can point them to. And what were you doing when you did that? You, you did that to express some kind of hope, right? Like my, my parents named me Christopher. Christopher means Christ bearer, Christ follower. Right? So, so in some ways, my parents were saying, I want this boy to grow up, and I pray, I grew up in a Christian home, he's going to follow Christ, he's going to bear the name of Christ upon his life. Now, but we all know that the naming of a child doesn't guarantee anything, does it? There's a lot of Christophers in this world that aren't Christ bearers, right? There's a, some of you know the name Christopher Hitchens, died a couple of years ago, and avowed a militant atheist. And his name was Christopher. So, so all we do as parents is, is sort of press down on that name some hope that may or may not occur. By God's grace, it will occur. But it might not, right? This is where we're different than God. So, so this is what God says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. Look at it with me. He says, he says, um, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, this is a child with four names. Now, what this doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that when Jesus was a little boy running around in diapers or, you know, playing baseball and getting dirty in mud and stuff like, you know, uh, mighty God, it's dinner time, you know, everlasting father, time to have a bath. Jesus didn't do this. The idea behind that is that these represent who he will be. In some ways, God was saying, my hopes are different than your hopes, parent. I've never had a hope, God could say, that didn't come to pass. Because if I want it, if I hope for it, it's as good as done. And so God 
presses his hopes upon this child and says, this is who he's going to be. He's prophesying about the future. He's saying this is what he's going to be, but not just what he's going to be in front of his character. What we're learning as we look at these names of Jesus, who this child is, we're learning something about our needs. It's not only his glory and who he is, it's about my need and what he is for me. So he's a wonderful counselor. Like, think about this. Like, how often do you look at your own life and go, I don't know what to do? Jesus never said that. Jesus never, like, you could have, you know, one of the things we do as pastors is sometimes, or maybe even do as a Christian, right? You sit down with coffee with somebody and they want to kind of share their life with you and they're going through a struggle and in some ways they're looking for you to help them and, and give them counsel, right? And so you listen and I cannot tell you one of the most discouraging things about being a pastor is that you listen to somebody, they pour out their heart to you and in my mind I'm thinking to myself, I have no idea what to say to them. I mean, I'm stumped right now. And Jesus will never say that. He's a wonderful counselor. And, and his counsel is wonderful. Like the things he has to say to you enrich your life. They're, they're wondrous. They're good. They're practical. They're helpful. They're all these things rolled into one. He's a wonderful counselor. So what does that tell me about me? I'm not, and it tells me I lack wisdom. I don't know what to do so often with my life. I'm not sure which way to go. I don't have the answers, but Jesus does. But he's not just a wonderful counselor. He's a mighty God. See, I don't just lack wisdom, I lack power. I lack ability. Now, now, think about this. So let's suppose you walk into my office, or let's suppose you're having a conversation with a friend over coffee, and man, they, they share their need with you, they're talking about you know, the counsel they need, and for whatever reason, boom, God just like, oh my goodness, the scriptures just came alive, I know exactly what to say to you. So on those rare occasions that that might happen, like, man, do I have the word of the Lord for you. Man, can I apply the gospel to this situation. I can tell you exactly what you need. Let's suppose that happens. Then you get up and walk out of my office. or so your friend gets up and walks away. Your power is over. You have nothing else you can do for them. But not God. Not Jesus. He's a mighty God. He can energize your will to obey Him. He can empower your spirit to say yes to His demands. This is why Paul can say in Philippians, he can say, work out your own salvation. Paul's not saying, like, work up to God. Like, like you got to earn it. He's saying, work it out. And he says, why? Be because it's God who's already at work in you both to work and to, to will and to work for His good pleasure. God's doing something. This is why you can even be obedient. This is why Jesus is a mighty God. He's so mighty, He can actually activate, energize, empower my will to be obedient to His. That's amazing. I'm not a mighty God. I can't do that for anybody. I can't do that for you. I can't even do it for myself. But Jesus can He's an everlasting father. Right? It's not saying Jesus is the father, the father is Jesus. It's saying this is his, his disposition towards you is one of fatherliness. So Psalm 103 says, as a father has compassion for his children, so the Lord has compassion toward those who fear him. 
That's the idea. He cares. He's protective. He's a provider. Some of you go, I don't like that image of father. Here's what I would say to anybody that says, my father was abusive. He was angry. He lacked all compassion. I'd like to even not ever think of him. I promise you, even if that's you, you longed for a father that was better. We all do. And, and he's saying, this is God's disposition through Christ towards you, a father. And he loves you. But then, you know, remember those commercials? They'd come on TV and say, you know, you get this, $9.99, but wait, there's more. You get this and this, but wait, there's more. You keep going on, you're like, oh my gosh, all that for $19.99, I have to use my credit card, right? And Jesus is like, but wait, there's more, but wait, there's more, but wait, there's more, but wait, there's more, and it's all free. And the last one is, he's a prince of peace. You see that? He's the prince of peace. And that is a, a, a name that is so jam-packed with meaning. And, and maybe this is the most Christmassy of all his names, right? Because if you were to ask somebody, what's Christmas all about? They'd probably say something like, peace, joy, love. That's, you know, it's peace on earth. We have songs that sort of span the spectrum from this sort of really ethereal silent night and sleep and heavenly peace, right? To... I heard the bells on Christmas Day. There was no peace on earth, they say, for Satan's strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I mean, even Bono's got in the act. His song, Peace on Earth. Jesus, can you take the time to throw a drowning man online? Peace on earth. To tell the ones who hear no sound, whose sons are living in the ground, peace on earth. Jesus the song you wrote, the words are sticking in my throat, peace on earth. Hear it every Christmas time, but hope in history won't rhyme. So what's it worth, this peace on earth? Like, this, is, this is our frustration. Like, we're supposed to have peace on earth, but I don't see it. And so let's talk about that because, because in some ways, Bono and others are kind of going, you know what? This whole peace on earth thing that we read about, the angels said in Luke chapter 2, it just hasn't happened. So Jesus, man, do something because you're not doing what you're supposed to do. Well, probably because we need to find what, uh, what peace is. What is peace? See, Bono would say, peace is this kind of, there should be no more war. That's true. There, there, there shouldn't be, there shouldn't be, fathers and mothers burying sons and children because of this. That's true. But it is so much bigger than that. Some of you know, I mean, this, this, this Hebrew word for peace is one of the most famous words in, you know, that people know of. It's the word shalom, right? Shalom. It's, it's, and it's not just let's cease being hostile toward one another, which is how we think of like peace treaties and things like that. No, it's way bigger than that. Right? It's not just so so if I if you go to Israel and you hear one Jew say to another Jew, shalom as a greeting, they're not saying to each other, let's not fight. They're expressing a hope, if you will, to another person. They're expressing a wish to another person, saying to them, I want your life to be whole. 
I, I want it to be complete. I, I want there to be a holistic sense of health, not just physical health, but spiritual, mental, psychological, all these things. I want there to be integrity in your life. I, I want what's broken to be fixed. I want what's lacking to be filled. I, I want all of this. That's shalom. And, and the Bible is saying, what, 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 what Isaiah is saying is there is a prince of shalom. This is what Jesus brings. This is the peace. And, and, he, and he puts it last. You notice this? He's got four names and this is the last one. Not because this is the least important, but because this one consumes all the other three. Because if this means, if, if peace, the shalom, is sort of filling up all that's lacking, man, I lack, I lack the care of a father. I'm lonely. I lack the care of, or, or the, 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 the wisdom of a wonderful counselor. I lack the might of a mighty God. And then he comes along, but there's this prince of peace, this prince of shalom that's going to fill up everything. And it's a child. This child born to us, this son given. And, and what, what's, what's happening? He's saying, you're, you'll never know shalom. You'll never know this peace that the Bible's talking about apart from Jesus Christ. You can't, right? I, I will prophesy to you now that the world will never know peace apart from Jesus Christ. False prophets will speak peace where there is no peace, but they'll never know it apart from Jesus Christ. So, so, so this is... This is the peace. And what happens then? So now, now God comes along and says, I'm going to give you a prince of peace. Now, what have we said about that? What have we said when he says, mighty God, everlasting father, right? Wonderful counselor, prince of peace. What's he saying? He's telling us about Jesus, but he's telling us about you and me. And God is the ultimate realist. God defines reality. He's saying something's broken, something's missing. There isn't this horizontal piece. There isn't this vertical piece. None of that is there. You're missing something, so you need this prince of peace. Jesus has to come along. I'm going to send someone to help you, and he's going to be the answer. So this is why St. Augustine We'll say, you formed us for yourself, and our hearts are restless. Isn't this true? Until they find their rest in you. We're just restless. I'm, I'm wrestling. I'm struggling. I, I'm trying to fill up this lack. I'm, <clears throat> I'm trying to figure out why I'm so restless. I'm trying to solve the anxiety. I'm trying to do all these things, and I'm running to all these different places to try and make this, this piece of the puzzle go away, fill in this emptiness, fill in this piece that I seem to be lacking. Try to find shalom. Right, this is all that we're doing. See, most of us, most of us live with this syndrome of if I had this, then I'd be happy. Everybody, right? We all we all have sort of this blank. What do you put in the blank? Right? If if I if I if I had, you know, if I had a person in my life, if I didn't have that person in my life, this is why so many divorces take place. What I want is to get rid of this one that isn't filling up my lack, and I want to go to this one that I think this one will fill up my lack. And it never happens, right? Because you realize they're not God, that they can't do what you're asking them to do. We go after career, we go after money, we go after possessions. Like if I could just, you know what, if I achieved this level of success, then I'd be happy. What are we saying when we say then I'd be happy? Shalom. Then I would know 
then my life would be whole. Or, or we think if I could change myself. So the new year's coming. And some of you are going to be like, if I was in that pant size, then I'd be happy. If I could kick this habit and start this one, then I'd be happy. If I could, if I could be better, then I'd be happy. Or, or we run and we go, you know, religion will solve my problem. So, so what I'm looking for is, is if I can just tip God's scales in my favor, then I'd be happy. Because I know something's off here, but okay, so I just, I just got to go back to church for a little while and I got to read my Bible and I got to do, I got to go through some religious motions and then somehow I'll appease God and actually not just appease him, but I'll put him in my debt and then he'll owe me and then we'll be, every, everything will be square. Then I'll be happy. Right? What are we doing? I want shalom so desperately, and I'm looking everywhere for it, in all these different avenues. And what you don't realize is, man, you are looking for a leprechaun mounted on a unicorn at the end of a rainbow, right? It doesn't exist. It just doesn't exist. So, so, so now God understands that. He sees our longing. He sees the emptiness. He knows, and in fact, he put it there. Paul's going to tell us in Romans that he's subjected to creation to futility and hope. I'm going to bring you this place. I can't seem to flip the light switch on. I can't seem to fill up the emptiness. I can't seem to find the peace of shalom. I just can't get there. So he says, okay, I'll do it. And so this is what the Prince of Peace is. It's God's provision of peace. I'm going to send Jesus. I'm going to send this one. You know know what the word prince, by the way? Sometimes the word prince is uh, translated in the Old Testament as keeper, guardian. Isn't that interesting? He's the keeper of peace. He holds all the chips to peace. And if you want to know it, then you... You must know Jesus Christ, and you must be in that relationship, and that's when the chips get slid across to your side of the table. He's the keeper. He's the one who has it all. So, so this is why when you get to the New Testament, Paul's going to say in Ephesians chapter four, 2, verse 14, he says, he himself is our peace. In Romans chapter 5, verse 1, he says, therefore, since, listen to this, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul begins almost every letter that he writes in your New Testament with some form of this, grace to you and peace from God our Father and or through the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have peace apart from Jesus. Jesus himself is going to say in John 16, I'm saying these things so that you'll have peace. In me, you'll have peace. In this world, you have trouble. Get in me. If you're out in the world all on your own, get in me. Be in me. Be united with me. Put your faith in me. Put it there, and you'll have peace. I've overcome the world, and whoever's in me overcomes the world with me. That's how you have peace. See, now here's here's the deal. You're, You're now put in a position, every time you hear the word of God, to to ask yourself, do I believe it? Like, do, do, I, am I, do I accept this, reject it, right? You, you, you are, you are let, let, me, let me use those, those two wonderful musical philosophers, Paul, uh, John Lennon and Paul McCartney, 
You are one of their song titles. You are, you are either, we can work it out, or help, I need somebody. Right? That, that are, that's really the two choices for you. We can work it out or help, I need somebody. And the crazy irony of Christmas is Bono, he has thrown a line. He's thrown a line to the drowning, to the drowned dead man, to raise him to life. And then we hear things like that and we think, you know, but really what Christmas is about is just me doing better. We can work it out. It's peace on earth if all of us, what Jesus is for us, all he is is just a good example. And if we could all just sort of be fully self-actualized like Jesus, what a world this would be. Well, that's right. What a world this would be. But we've been trying now for millennia to try and self-actualize like Jesus, and we've never gotten there. So we can't work it out. It's not going to, we're not going to get it together, yeah, get it together, I know. It's not going to happen. It's not up and up. So the other choice is help. I need somebody. And not just anybody. Right? What are we crying for? This is the cry of Christmas. Help. And God says, I will. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now, when Jesus comes, Bono's right in this sense. There's not peace on earth. Right? I mean... Syria, Middle East conflict, There's, it's all over. America, there's not peace. So what, what, what's wrong? If we, well, we, we looked and said, well, do we need to know what peace is, first of all. But second, do we understand that, that when Jesus came, when God sends Jesus, doesn't say, you know what, now Jesus came, it, you know, it's, it's all going to be roses and perfect and, there, and, and peace is just going to go out to everybody. No, I'd say it this way. There are conditions for our peace. You understand this? There, this is not just an unconditional, I just give you peace no matter what. There are conditions that must be satisfied for our peace. And let me, let me tell you one of the ways we know that. He calls him the prince of peace. Now why? Why does he call him the prince? Well, it's a keeper, that's true. But he uses this, this title of, of royalty. He uses this title of superiority authority. What's he saying? You're never going to know peace without submission to the Prince of Peace, without obedience to the Prince of Peace. You'll never, listen, there is no such thing as gospel peace and disobedience to the Word of God. You've got to understand this. There is no such thing. Jesus came he will die on a cross. We'll celebrate that at Easter, right? And he did it to crush and kill the sin that you think he's okay with. He's not okay with it. So Paul says in Romans 5, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, let us have peace with God. 
And then he goes on to say, just in case you didn't understand me, Romans 6, verse 1, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? Can I just sin willy-nilly? Can I do what I want? God's grace will cover it. I can be at peace. No, you cannot. The cross will never make friends with the sin that it must crush. Never. The cross is God's decisive act of warfare against my sin, against your sin. See, there's conditions. You're not going to know gospel peace and disobedience in the same breath. But I want to show you something else. Very, very well-known, of course, story in Luke chapter 2, right? This is the, this is the story of Christmas that, that, um, that Luke tells us about what happened. And, and the shepherds are out in the field. You know the story, like the, the Caesar sends out a decree that the whole world should be taxed, and Joseph took Mary out of Nazareth, and they go up to Bethlehem. She's great with child. There was no room in the inn. <clears throat> and then it says, out in the fields of Bethlehem, and suddenly there appeared, right, these, this angel. And, and, and it says that, that the, the angel said to them, fear not, for I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all people. What's the good news? For unto you is born this day a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, now what's he saying? The one prophesied about in Isaiah 9 is here. And this shall be a sign to you. Find the baby. It's an amazing sign. I don't have time to talk about this, but listen in on Christmas Day if you will send you a video. But, but this will be a sign to you. Find the baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And then look at, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, verse 14, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Let me say it this way. Verse 14, who can expect the peace of God? What's the condition for having the peace of God? God must be pleased with you. I think that's fair. So what does that mean? Who is pleasing to God? Well, well fortunately, the Bible tells us. Hebrews 11.6, without faith, it's impossible to please God. Now, now, hear me. Faith, faith is not an attitude of positivity. Got to have faith. We're not talking about that. Faith is not trust in something. It's trust in someone. Without faith in Jesus Christ, without faith in this object of your faith, you have no faith. That's not, that, 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 that doesn't count if it's just, I've, I've, I've got this positive attitude toward things of the world. No, it's I have put my trust, my weight, I am trusting in Jesus Christ for my salvation. And the Bible says, apart from that, you cannot please God. Listen to how Paul flushes that out in, in Romans chapter 8. He says, now listen, watch how Paul sets up these two things. He says, for those who live according to the flesh set their minds on things of the flesh. Those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. For the mind that is set on the flesh is death, but the mind that is set on the Spirit is life and peace. And he says, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. But then look at verse 8. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. 
This is Paul's way of saying, apart from faith, right, you, you, you can't please God. You are either in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit because you have been saved, you place your faith in Jesus Christ, or you are living for yourself selfishly. God is just sort of on the periphery of your life, and, and, and that's you, right? Or God has nothing to do with your life. And he says, you cannot please God if you want to know peace. So follow the logic. I want to know peace, then you must please God. And if you're going to please God, then you have to have faith. And you have to have faith in Jesus Christ. You have to walk by the Spirit. That's all in the same package. So what the angels are, are saying, they're not saying to the shepherds, okay, guys, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace among those with whom God is pleased. So guys, I, I hope you're listening carefully, shepherds. Now go out, try harder, work harder, do better, Pull yourself up by the bootstraps and maybe you'll be pleasing to God. That's not shalom. That's exhausting. That's I've got to work really hard to please God. No, no what they're saying is go. Please God by believing in this child that you're about to see. By embracing this one, right? This is, this is what pleases God. Not go earn it. See, some of you will take your children this year and you'll place them on Santa's lap and they might hear something like this. Have you been a good little boy? A good little girl? Asking basically, are you on the naughty or the nice list? Right? In other words, um, Christmas gifts are earned. And Paul's going to say, if you earn it, it's not a gift. How many of you have seen, um, it's called Fred Claus, Fred, Fred Claus, is that the movie? Yeah, Fred Claus, yeah. See, it's not a great movie, I don't recommend it, but have you seen it? Anybody seen it? It's fine, if you have. Um, so he's Santa's like jerky brother or something, and he, uh, at one point in the movie, you know, he's, he's kind of the kid that never does anything quite right, and Santa's the goody two-shoes, and he sees the naughty and nice list, and Fred Claus, just sort of in this like wild, audacious, scandalous moment takes out his stamp and goes to all the kids on the naughty list and starts stamping nice, 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 nice. Now, that's not a great movie, but that's the gospel. <laughs> and that ought to make you weep. Because what's happening? This is scandalous. This is, this is Jesus Jesus doesn't take nice kids and say, okay, now you get a gift. Jesus takes naughty kids and says, I will make you nice. I will, let's say it this way, I'll declare you nice. I'll justify you. How does he do that? Does he just sweep our, our sins under the rug? And go, you know what? They don't matter, Chris. I'm just going to like, la, la, la. I don't see him. I don't see him. 
No. He sees every single one and says, you know what I'm going to do for you, Chris? You're naughty. <laughs> I'm going to pay for all of them. Now, this is where Jesus and Fred Claus depart. I'm going to actually pay for your sins. So now you're, you're, you're slate. So, so now I can actually say, Chris, you're nice. I'm going to slide to your side. I'm going to give you all my niceness. I'm going to take your naughtiness and I'm going to pay for it. This isn't earned. The conditions are simply, I believe that what Jesus Christ has said he would do, he would do. And what happens when I believe that? What happens when I get on this side of the ledger where not I've made myself nice as though I could, but Jesus Christ has declared a naughty kid nice? Now, do you, do you, get, do you, do you get how the one doesn't lead you to shalom? The one leads to exhaustion? The declaration that I'm righteous because Jesus Christ has made me from a naughty to a nice, he's declared me that way? Now I'm like, whew, that's peace. And what happens when I'm on this side of that ledger and Jesus Christ has declared me that way? Now gospel peace comes to me. So now when Paul writes in, a, in Philippians chapter 4, to those on this side who have been declared righteous, who have been declared nice, he says to them, the Lord is at hand. Don't be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, make your request known to God. And then what? And the peace of God, which, my translation, will blow your mind, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. Now tell me that isn't what we're longing for. I mean, I could go around the room. We said this a few weeks ago. What do you want for Christmas? What do you want for Christmas? We'd all come up with things we want. What do we really want? That. And there's no ruler in this world that can do this. Right? The, when the ancient philosopher Epictetus said, man, there's no emperor. I mean, the emperor can bring, can bring peace in the midst of war. The emperor can't solve my anxieties, my fears, my passions. The Pax Romana never touched the human heart. And hear me, the Pax Americana will never touch the human heart. We could have peace in America tomorrow. That isn't our greatest need. Our greatest need is for the keeper of peace, the prince of peace, for, for us to bow our knee to him and receive his peace. So Isaiah is going to say in just a few chapters, you will keep him in perfect peace. Isn't that amazing? Let me just stop right there. How good is perfect? It's perfect. There's nothing more to say. Whose mind is stayed on thee? Because he trusts in you. It all starts there. Because I trust in God. Because I trust in Jesus Christ. Because I trust there. I put my hope there. Now he stamps me nice. Now I've been, I've been declared nice. Now I'm pleasing to God. Not because I've earned it, but because Jesus Christ earned it for me. Now I have all the righteousness of Christ. Now I breathe deeply and go, I'm at peace. I'm at peace vertically. And now I can live at peace horizontally because of what Christ has done. He's 
wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for your Son. Thank you for the Prince who's come to fill up everything that we're lacking. And I pray, Lord, that today we would bow our knees again to your Son, the Prince, the King of Kings. Lord, I pray for people in this room striving, restless, trying to fill something up, the lack in their hearts. And I pray today they would, as they're faced with this choice, Lord, either I'm going to have to work it out my own or somebody's going to have to help me. I pray that they would see that Jesus is that somebody. And they would turn and they'd run to Jesus, knowing that you'll forgive them You'll forgive them of spending their lives running away from Him, ignoring you, and that you'll reconcile them and give them peace that passes all understanding. Do that today, I pray, God. Lord, we love you. We thank you. We thank you for who you are for us, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.